friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. everybody to please rise from their seats right now and we're going to read together aloud James chapter 1 and verses 13 to 16. So at the count of three, let's all read together aloud please. One, two, read. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Let's bow our heads in prayer at this time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for this wonderful Sunday morning. It's always a blessing, Lord, to worship and glorify your holy name. And indeed, Lord, you have done so many good things in our lives, our salvation most especially. And we rejoice in all of the goodness, in all of the grace that you shower upon our lives. We cannot thank you enough for the many, many things that you do in our lives. And that is why it is a great privilege as well as our duty to just come on a Sunday and worship and honor and glorify your holy name. And Lord, allow us to worship at your table as well as we listen to your word. I pray for myself, O God, that I might be your mouthpiece. As I speak, Lord, grant me faith and grant me boldness that as I speak, Lord, I might speak through the power of your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you will open our minds and open our hearts, open our spiritual ears, O God, that we might understand. And right now, we take authority over every work of Satan right now, and we command him to leave this place in the name of Jesus. And we pray for a hedge of angels around us. Holy Spirit, once again, be our teacher. We give you back the glory, the praises, and thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to begin a very short series, actually just a two-part series, which I have entitled, Who is the Problem? Now, based on what we just read a while ago, you probably know that the theme of our discussion this morning happens to be the area of temptation. And for some people, it seems like a very simple subject matter, but the truth of it is that it is really quite complicated when you begin to talk about the nitty-gritty details of temptation, you will discover that it is quite complicated. And it's possible that there are many questions that are running through our minds in relation to temptation. 
And hopefully this sermon this morning together with the other sermon next weekend would help us understand better what temptation is all about. And there are three things that I actually see in the passage that we just read. I'd just like to be able to show to you these three things on the screen. And so three major points. The first major point, we will talk about that the fact that God is not the problem. So when it comes to temptation, we need to understand God is not the problem. He will never, ever be the problem. So we find this in verse 13 as well as in verse 16. Now we have some sub-points here, and we will be discussing about a false view of God in verse 13. Then we will take a look at the correct view of God. And then finally, we find a call to correct thinking, and this is found in verse 16. Now, the second point that we will be discussing is that if God is not the problem, then what's the problem? Well, your lust is the problem. That is what the book of James is saying, and that is what you and I will see in verse 14. And then finally, we will take a look at verse 15, and the third major point is that your lust will bring more problems. Now, allow me to enumerate these two problems. First of all, lust will result to sin. And secondly, as a progression, lust results to death. Now, we will only be able to discuss the first major point this morning, and the second and the third major point, I'm going to reserve that for next weekend. So we're just going to take a look at the first major point because after all, there are many things I would like to be able to clarify in so far as point number one is concerned. So here's my first point. God is not the problem. I'd like to read verse 13 once again. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself does not tempt anyone. Now, contained here in verse 13 is actually a false view of God. But there are two things I have observed and two things I'd like us to note, first of all, before we go into the false view of God. So here's one observation, and I'd like to phrase it in a question. The question would be, who are the ones who have this incorrect view or false view of God? Interestingly, if you go to verse 16, you will find that those who had an incorrect view of God happen to be believers in Christ because they are called by James, my beloved brethren. So the ones who had an incorrect view insofar as temptation was concerned were the Christians. So here's something very important to note. Sometimes we Christians, although we have the Bible, it is possible that we might have misinterpreted some passages of Scripture. It is possible that we have some wrong views, most especially in relation to God. 
Now, I believe it is very important to be able to correct those false views because if we do not understand who our God is, then we will not be able to respond and react in a proper way. We will not be able to worship God as we should. We would not be able to serve God as we should. And that is why, in so far as a view of God is concerned, it is very important that we have an accurate view of the Lord. So once again, as we take a look at this particular passage, it's interesting to discover, intriguing even, that those who had a false view of God happened to be believers in Christ. I'd also like you to observe one word here in verse 13, the word when. It does not use the word if, but rather when. So let me just read verse 13 once again. It says, let no one say when he is tempted. It does not say, let no one say if he is tempted. Now the word when, once again, is very important. Because that tells us that temptation is something that you and I will definitely face. There is no one who is exempted from temptation. In fact, if you take a look at the earthly life of the Lord Jesus Christ, even before He began His public ministry, He was tempted by the evil one. And if that is true in so far as the Son of God is concerned, you and I would likewise face temptation. So that is something that is expected. Just because you are a believer in Christ does not mean that you will not face temptation. Again, we must be able to establish the fact that this is a certainty. Now you can hide in the mountains You can go to the desert and try to escape temptation. But let me tell you this, it will still follow you there. There was a time when monasticism became quite popular among some professing Christians. And so some of them actually went to the mountains and they thought that if they would go to an isolated place, they would be free from temptation. Only to discover that lust Follow them when they went to the mountains. That is also true for those who went to the desert. So it doesn't really matter where you go. Even if you isolate yourself, temptation will still be there. Why? Because of the world system that we have somehow imbibed before we came to Christ. Secondly, because of our fleshly nature, our sinful nature. And of course, you have the temptation of the evil one, of demons, or the devil himself. And that is why no matter where you go, temptation will still be there. I recall a story that was shared to me by a pastor friend of mine. He actually enrolled in a seminary when he was in high school. And of course, in seminary, you enter a school like that, to one day become a religious minister. And he told me the story that during the daytime, they actually had a double deck. But at nighttime, that double deck became a single deck. Now, what did he mean, actually? Well, what he meant was at night, there was homosexual activity 
among the seminarians. So it doesn't mean that if you isolate yourself or you try to become a celibate, that you would be freed from temptation. That is simply not true. And that is why, knowing that, we know therefore now that we cannot simply isolate ourselves and be freed from temptation. Temptation will always be there regardless of where you are. Now, in so far as the main point of this passage is concerned, it is saying to us that we are not to say that I am being tempted by God. Now, that is the false view that we discover here that some Christians happen to have. They were saying that it was God who was tempting them. And James was saying, don't say that. Do not ever say that it is God who is tempting you. Because if you say that, you're actually stating that there is no difference between God and Satan himself. And you and I know that God is the complete opposite of Satan. There is no evil in God. God's character is the complete opposite of Satan's character. And that is why we have to perish that false view of God and replace it with a correct view of God, which we find in verse 13. Now notice what verse 13 says, For God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself does not tempt anyone. Now let's break this down. First of all, it says God cannot be tempted by evil. Meaning to say the whole character of God is holiness. If we were to describe who our God is, our God is absolutely holy. So He cannot be seduced and He cannot be lured into sin. He cannot be seduced and lured by temptation. There is simply nothing in God that would lead Him into sin. And that is something, again, that we have to establish because the moment we think that our God is not holy and that He could be tempted or that He tempts some people, then we begin to have a distorted view of God. And the moment you have a distorted view of God, it's going to affect the way you behave. It's going to affect the way you respond and react to certain things. And you might even think, that God is really delighting in you when you are engaging in sin. Now, such thoughts, of course, are totally unbiblical. And that is why, again, very important that we be able to have an accurate, correct view of God. Now, here's a question. If God is holy, would He tempt anyone to evil? And I believe the book of James has already answered that. And the answer, of course, is, of course not. God will not tempt anyone. It would not be in keeping with God's character that He would tempt anyone. That is why verse 13 reads, He Himself does not tempt anyone. Now, could we say this together? God does not tempt anyone. Could we say it again? God does not tempt anyone. 
So again, we have to establish that. Now here's another question. Now while it is clear that God does not directly or directly tempt anyone, does God allow us to be tempted or does He lead us into temptation? Let me once again repeat that question. While it is clear that God does not directly or directly tempt anyone, does God allow us to be tempted or does He lead us into temptation? So we had already established the fact that God does not directly tempt anyone. But we need to be able to answer those two other questions. And that is why, as I mentioned to you, this is more complicated than we think it is. It is not really that simple. So the question, does God allow us to be tempted? The answer is yes. He allows us to be tempted. Where do we find that? In Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 32. We find the example of Peter. Notice it says here, verse 31 and 32, this is Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, let me break this down a little bit because there are some nice and wonderful things that you can observe for, from, from this particular passage. First of all, you find that the name of Peter, called Simon here, is repeated twice. You and I know that when a word or a name is repeated twice, it calls attention to itself. Number one, for emphasis, and secondly, I'd like to be able to point out the repetition of a name twice is an indication of Jesus' concern and love towards Simon Peter. And here's something you and I need to chew on. We need to chew on the fact that God loves us. And I believe we have to be able to establish that fact because sometimes when you and I are being tempted, we might get the idea that God doesn't love us, that God doesn't care for us. And we're probably wondering, why are all these temptations taking place in my life? And we have got to be able to say that no matter what happens to us, no matter what temptation comes our way, we must never, ever doubt the love and the concern of God. Secondly, it says here, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. The word that needs to be highlighted here is the word permission. Anything that happens to us needs the permission of God. Now that to me is quite comforting. Because that tells me that Satan, with all his power is limited by whatever God permits. There are certain boundaries that God puts Satan in. He boxes Satan in those boundaries. And he cannot go beyond what God permits. Now here's a very important thing that would comfort us as well. 
Whatever God permits, you and I need to understand we are perfectly capable of overcoming. Why do we say that? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it states that we will not be tempted beyond what we are able. In other words, God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle. And that tells you one thing. If God allows it, you can overcome. If God allows it, you can win over that situation. And that is why, again, this is a word of comfort on our part. And remember that God wants us to be more than conquerors. God wants us to be victorious in our lives. And we are perfectly capable of overcoming any and every temptation that comes our way. First Philippians 4 verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now notice also in verse 32 what Jesus says to Simon. He says, but I have prayed for you. And one very interesting thing is that you and I discover in the book of Hebrews that Jesus continues to intercede for us. The book of Hebrews says that He intercedes for us forever. What a great comfort that is. Even when no one is praying for us, even when no one is concerned for us, we have our Lord and Savior praying and interceding for us. And there's another bonus. Because in Romans chapter 8, you and I discover that the Spirit of God prays within us as well. And that is why you have the cooperation of the Blessed Trinity. And that is why we can overcome. And that's the reason why we can establish our footing. This is the reason why we can develop character. Because of the, of the intercession of Christ and the intercession of the Holy Spirit. Then it says here, verse 32, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So here we find the purpose for the prayer, that our faith may not fail, that the faith of Peter might not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So ultimately here, what do we discover? We discover the restoration of Peter. And not only do we discover the restoration of Peter, he is now given the strength by God in the future to be able to minister and serve other people. And that is why in this particular case, yes, God allows us to be tempted, but for good reason, which I will expound on later. Now, the second uh, question that we annexed uh, previously, the question is, does God lead us into temptation? God allows us to be tempted. We said yes. Next question is, does God lead us to temptation? The answer to that is yes as well. He may lead us into temptation. And maybe that explains a portion of the Lord's Prayer wherein it says, do not what? Do not lead us into temptation. And that only makes sense 
if you and I say that God does lead us into temptation. Now again, don't prejudge what I am about to say because I would like to be able to explain and expound this lest you and I think that God is not being holy in this particular case. But let me give you one example of God leading, in fact, the Lord Jesus Christ into temptation. And where do we find that? In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. And here's what it says. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Who was the one leading the Lord? It was the Spirit of God. Now notice here, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. For what reason? It says to be tempted by the devil. So clearly here we find that it was the Spirit of God that led Jesus Christ into the wilderness. And the purpose and the reason why he was led into the wilderness so, was so that he could be tempted by the devil. Of course, the question is, was he being led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil to sin? And the answer to that is no. The reason why Jesus was being led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one is not for him to sin, but to prove his holy character, to vindicate him. To prove that he indeed is the Messiah. To prove that he indeed is the Christ, the Holy One. To prove that he is holy. To prove that he is spotless. To prove that he is without sin, without stain. And that no matter what temptation comes Jesus' way, he will never ever sin. So the purpose here was not for Jesus to sin, but to vindicate Him, to prove His character. And sometimes that is one of the reasons why God allows us to be tempted or leads us into temptation. Yesterday, as I was expounding on this particular uh, verse of Scripture, I got reminded of what happened to my brother. Well, I just visited his church last weekend so happy to know that the church is growing in number as well as in spiritual maturity but you know my brother has been through a lot and when I think about what he has gone through I can only just I can only just be blessed by his life he lost his wife to breast cancer Several years ago, she died in Houston, Texas. She was being treated for breast cancer, and she lost the battle to the big C. But as that was happening, there were also many things that were taking place in the life of my brother. He was being severely oppressed by a demonic presence. I recall one particular time he was telling me this story. They just came from a chemotherapy session. And they were both resting. Uh, his wife, Maurice, was on the bed. And I think he was in a rocking chair. They were both resting. They were both 
exhausted. And my brother noticed all of a sudden that there was something, there was a presence on the side. It was a black presence. Uh, for lack of a better word, I'd like to describe it as something dark, a black presence, which he could see. And from the side, that black presence, you know, faced him. And he heard a voice. Definitely, there was a demonic voice. And the voice went something like this. Is this the God that you serve? After you have served your God, after you have given your life to Him, is this what He does to you? Look at her wife. She has cancer. Will you continue to serve your God? And my brother, with all boldness, rebuked that black demonic presence. He rebuked that and he said, no matter what happens, I will still serve the Lord. In that moment of great temptation, my brother was able to prove his character. Another time, there was another chemotherapy session. And by that time, I thought, or I think, that what had happened was the devil realized that he could not budge my brother into losing his faith. So you know what happened after that chemotherapy session? They were both resting. I think my, my uh, sister-in-law was lying down. My brother was also lying down. Guess what happened? All of a sudden, my brother was lifted from his bed. He actually, literally levitated from the bed. And after he was lifted from the bed, he was thrown back to the bed violently. And again, what just happened there was God proved the character of my brother. And that's why as I see my brother right now continuing to plod on and serve God, I cannot help but be blessed by his example. And that's one of the reasons why God might lead us into temptation, not so that we might sin, but to prove our character. I recall also the story of one young boy. His name was Mark, young boy. And he was a very honest boy. He was a Christian. And one time they had a spelling contest in school. And so the tempter was whispering into the ear of Mark because he was having difficulty with spelling. And so the tempter was saying, look at the paper of your seatmate, who was a girl and who was very intelligent. Look at her paper because she always gets it right. And so he struggled with that temptation and finally he yielded to the temptation. He started to look at the paper of his seatmate and he started to copy the answers. 
All the while, he did not know that his teacher was watching. And in the mind of his teacher, she was saying, this isn't Mark. I know Mark to be honest. I know Mark to, to be sincere. Why is he doing this? But then she allowed the situation to just continue. And finally, when it was time to pass the piece of paper, the teacher could see that Mark was really struggling inside. And finally, Mark just took the piece of paper and he tore it. He won the victory over temptation. And the teacher called him in front, Mark, come here. I saw you. I saw you struggling. And I saw how you copied from your seatmate. But Mark, let me just tell you this. I am very, very proud of you. When you tore that piece of paper, you made me very proud. And sometimes that's how it is. God may lead us into temptation, not that we might sin, but to prove our character. And that is why when temptation comes our way, we need to challenge ourselves and say, Lord, let me prove my love for you. Let me prove my faith in you. Let me prove my loyalty and my devotion to you. The temptation, after all, is a test for all of us to show whether we truly love God. Because love is not measured by our emotions, our love is not measured by our singing. Our love towards God is not even measured by our service. But as Edmund Chan said, the highest form of stewardship is obedience to God. When you and I are being tempted severely, are we willing to obey God to the full? And that is why, again, the temptation is an opportunity, in fact, on our part to prove that we love God, that we trust Him, that we will remain faithful to Him. So again, that may be one reason why God may allow temptation in our lives or leads us into temptation. But here's another thing that I think is very important. Another reason, a second reason, why God may lead us or bring us into temptation is because of the hardness of our hearts. Let me say it again. Another reason why God may lead us or bring us into temptation is because of the hardness of our hearts. And by that I mean we've already decided after all that we are going to disobey God. And so he just practically abandons us to ourselves. Let's take a look at 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 19 to 23, as I give you one good example. We see the example of King Ahab, who, by the way, was a very wicked king who had a very wicked wife by the name of Jezebel. So please don't, your name, don't name your children Jezebel or Ahab. Very bad choices. Anyway, in verse 19 it reads, Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. 
I saw the Lord sitting on His throne, and all the host of heaven standing by Him, on His right and on His left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? Notice the question. This is coming from God. God is saying, Who will entice Ahab? Now, some people get shocked with that, but again, let me move on and explain. And says, and one said this while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, how? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, this is God speaking. Then he said, you are to entice him. And also prevail, go and do so. And when I see the word go, I recall the Lord Jesus Christ bidding Judas to go and do what he had to do, which was to betray the Lord Jesus. And we find the same word here saying, the Lord saying, go and do so. Verse 23, now therefore behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets, and the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. Now what just happened here? And I'm sure some of you are beginning to think, how could God do this? How could he be the one asking the question, who will entice Ahab? But as I mentioned to you, this king had a track record of wickedness. This king had a track record of rebelliousness. This king had a track record of religious syncretism. He had allowed the worship of Baal, which was another Middle Eastern god. And aside from that, he had persecuted those who were genuine prophets of Yahweh. So this was actually a king who was opposed to God. And whenever there were prophets who would confront him, he would never pay attention. He would never listen to these prophets. In other words, this king had already made up his mind that no matter who was going to speak to him, even if it was going to be a great and mighty prophet of God, he would not pay attention. He would not listen. And this is the reason why God abandons him to himself. This is exactly what happened here. The reason why God did this was because this king never wanted to listen to the truth of God. And he gave him what he wanted indirectly. Which was to disobey God. Now this seems to be the same case found in the book of Romans chapter 1 verses 18 to 32, which I would like to read to you. Verse 18 read, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Question, does God get angry? Oh, yes, He does. And how often does He get angry? The book of Psalms says every day. And why does God get angry every day? Because... Every day, mankind sins against Him. Because every day, man offends God. And what could be one of the major reasons why God is angry? Well, we are given the reason here. 
It says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The truth, after all, is something that is revealed by God to the rest of mankind. And yet, mankind, instead of receiving, accepting the truth of God, instead rejects it and suppresses it. And that is why God gets angry because it is the truth of God that sets people free. Yet men desire to suppress the truth, bringing about great enslavement to sin, deception, and lies. And there is no excuse because in verse 19 it says, Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. God did not cause the world to be guessing around as to whether there was a God or not. God has made it evident that there is a God. When you just think about creation, for example, the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, the beauty of nature, our, the conditions that make survival possible for us, all the gifts that we have, the gift of sight, the gift of hearing, the gift of speech, the gift of taste, the gift of sense of touch. How can we even deny that there is a God? And there are some people who say, well, how do you explain creation? Some people explain it away and say that, well, creation came out of nothing. Such a foolish and stupid fury which can never, ever be proven at all. Look at verse 20. It says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Man can never, ever excuse himself. The atheists have no excuse whatsoever. It says here, verse 21, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Well, that's exactly what happens. When you reject the truth, when you do not honor God as you should, when you do not thank God as you should, your foolish heart will be darkened. There is always a consequence to whatever we do, how we respond to the revelation of God. When we reject the truth, something terrible is going to happen to our hearts. And that is why the world is what it is right now. There is so much darkness and evil and perversion in the world. And the reason why that is happening is because man has rejected the truth of God's Word. I heard that in one country right now, they are now legalizing sex with animals. And by the way, as early as the book of Leviticus... Bestiality is something that is condemned by God, punishable by death. God is so far ahead. And, and people talk about 
You know, when, when people talk about things like this, they, they, they think about, they talk about these things as if we're talking about freedom. Is that really freedom? Isn't that enslavement? Isn't that bondage? Isn't that being held captive to do the will of the evil one? And yet right now, the lines are, are blurred. Light has become dark. White has become black and black has become white. People are totally confused right now as to which is right and what is wrong. But that's what happens when you suppress the truth. Now, there's a consequence to that. Look at verse 22. It says, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. When you reject the truth about God, when you reject His invisible attributes revealed to us, what happens? Well, you and I need to understand we're wired for worship. But if we do not worship in the correct way, we will worship in the wrong way. And because people have rejected the truth of the invisible God, that God is spirit, what do they do? Because they have this need to worship, they begin to create gods in their own image. And that is exactly what happens here. And when you do that, you're bringing yourself down in a, in a downward spiral of more sin. That is why look at verse 24. It says, therefore... Therefore, it has to be connected to verses 20 to 23 as consequences. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Why is there so much immorality in the world? Why is there so much perversion in the world? Why, why is there pedophilia? Why are children being sexually abused even by their own parents? Why are children being, being sold in the market in cyber pornography? Why is that even happening? Why are the parents who are supposed to protect their children and raise up their children to be moral people, why are they corrupting their children? And damning their souls. It happens because we do not honor God. When you worship incorrectly, you will live incorrectly. Verse 25 For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. You want to find out the reason for lesbianism? You want to find out the reason for woman-to-woman -woman relationship? It has nothing to do with chromosomes. 
The reason why that happens is because people have abandoned the truth. You know the reason why that happens? It is because people worship incorrectly. And when you worship incorrectly, you will live incorrectly. And that's why right now, gender lines are being blurred. When I went to the States, they just recently imposed one rule. Or I don't know if you can call that a rule, but maybe you can call it their, their way, their method of being politically correct. I'm talking about one supermarket in the stage, which is very popular. I won't mention the name. We're live streaming. But this supermarket is very popular because they sell quality and very inexpensive items. But now, in their supermarket, they've allowed both genders to do their thing or to do their dressing or fitting of clothes without any discrimination. In other words, you can be a male and female and you can have the same dressing room. And there are no more male comfort rooms and female comfort rooms. You can go to whatever comfort room you would like to go to. And then very recently, they caught a man who was videoing a woman who was undressing because probably she was trying to fit some clothes. Think about the possibility of young girls being abused in a comfort room because it's supposedly genderless. People are more concerned right now about being politically correct and making politically correct statements. Not mindful that we are actually harming the society which we are supposedly to protect. This is the world that we are living in. Verse 27, it says, And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. You want an explanation of homosexuality? Why do men with men engage in sexual acts? Again, it has nothing to do with chromosomes, but everything to do with a rejection of the truth and incorrect worship. I was talking to a man in the UK when I was visiting the church there. I saw this man, he's a British guy. Guy was really struggling. And when you look at him, he's, he looks every inch a man. Tall, broad-shouldered, quite muscular. And you would think, well, this is a good example of um, the male species. He talked to me, brought me aside. He said, I'd like to talk to you about my struggle. So I, I asked him to share what it was that was bothering him. He said, Master Mel, 
My struggle is at night, I like to dress like a woman. He was a cross-dresser. And when he was talking to me, I was not laughing at all. I was, I felt the pain. I felt his hurt. I felt his guilt. I felt the struggle that he was going through. And I just learned one of the reasons why that, one of the reasons why that came about. He said, my mother used to dress me up like a girl when I was a young boy. Things like that are happening in the world. And it's all because of the rejection of truth. It's all because of the rejection of true worship. And it continues on. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips. You know, gossip right now is big business, right? They call it talk shows. They're not really talk shows. They're gossip shows. But there are a lot of customers. There are a lot of advertisers. It's glorified everywhere. Gossip is the big thing right now. People like to talk about other people. And the world calls it entertainment. The Bible calls it sin. The Bible calls it evil. But notice how some people really enjoy listening to those talk shows. You're entertaining yourself with sin. And yet, sometimes you're not even aware that it is sin that you are listening to it. Verse 30, slanderers, haters of God. Insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. Inventors of evil. There are some people who are scientists inventing evil, disobedient to parents. Ever wondered why some children are disobedient? Well, again, wrong view of God, wrong understanding of God. And if, if children will actually disobey God, don't you think they would likewise disobey the parents? That's how it goes. That's why you need to be able to raise up your children as young as they are. You need to be able to raise them up and teach them the Bible. You need to mentor them. The Bible says the Jews, in the book of Deuteronomy, the, the Jews are told that they are to talk about the Word of God to their children while walking, while eating. In an informal way, they are to instruct and mentor their children. Otherwise, they would get lost. Verse 31, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. 
Right now, people have become cheerleaders of sin. When somebody sins, they are applauded. When somebody comes out, an NBA athlete comes out and declares to the whole world that he is gay, it's called courage. How in the world does that become courage? That is brazen blasphemy. That is a brazen rebellion against God. And it's called courage. When somebody comes out in the open and declares that he's gay, that's courage. That's not courage. That is open rebellion against God. But that's the world that we are living in. We look around and we see all these senseless killings by the terrorists in the name, supposedly, of God. And you have got to wonder whether it is really God that they are serving. You have got to wonder if, if there is really correct worship. Obviously, there is something wrong in so far as their view of God is concerned. Obviously, there is something wrong in so far as their doctrine is concerned. Because there would be no senseless killings of innocent lives if only the truth is brought forth and accepted instead of rejected. But that's the world. So does God lead us into temptation? Yes, in a certain sense, but only because we have hardened our hearts and so therefore God abandons us to ourselves. And that is why the world has become darker and darker by the day. Not just by the year, but by the day it has become darker because the world has been rejecting the truth. They have not been worshiping the one and only true living God. They have rejected the Bible. They have persecuted those who speak the truth. And that is why the world is coming to what it is right now. And God is not to be blamed because the God that we serve is a holy God. Amen? And He cannot be tempted. And we thank God that we are serving a true and living and holy God. Amen? Thank God we are in the truth. Amen? And we don't say that in pride. We don't say that arrogantly. You heard the preaching of Pastor DJ last Sunday. The reason why I asked him to preach was that was the preaching that made me cry. And I believe you were blessed by that. So when I say thank God we're in the right, thank God we have the Bible, thank God we worship the one and only true living God, I, I do not say that boastfully, arrogantly. I say that with all humility. Because what we have, we do not deserve. Thank God is gracious. Thank God He had mercy on our souls. Thank God He opened our eyes. Thank God He opened our hearts. Thank God He opened our spiritual ears. Because friends, you and I would not be here if not for the mercy of God. Amen. So we thank God for everything that we have.
So, this brings us to the third sub-point of the first major point, and this is a call to correct thinking. That is why here, James says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Never, ever think that God is unholy. Never, ever think that God is the one that tempts us. God is not the problem. And if God is not the problem, when I get tempted, that only means one thing. He is the solution. God is the solution to my temptation problem. What, I, what do I do when I am tempted? I run to Him. The way to handle temptation is to turn to Christ for enablement. And I wonder if there are some people here who have not yet made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in our country, we have been raised up to think that we are Christians. So even as a young boy, if somebody asked you, what's your faith? You would say, I'm a Christian. However, I would like to think, and I believe that this is something that we could observe as well. Majority of those who call themselves Christians are not Christians at all. You cannot be born a Christian. Remember I mentioned that to you previously? Nobody is born a Christian because for you to be a Christian, you need to believe and you need to repent. And being born into this world as a baby, obviously you can't believe, you can't repent. That's only possible when you are grown up and you can understand, you can reason out. And why is it that we need to have a relationship with Christ? Why is it that we need to believe and repent? Because friends, if we do not repent, the only path remaining for us is damnation and hell. Because we're sinners and sin needs to be paid for, then we need to suffer eternal hell. And why eternal hell? Because we have offended an eternal God. And the only way I can be saved from that is by accepting what Christ did for me because He did something to save our souls. He did not just... He did not sit back and fold his hands and do nothing so that the rest of mankind could go to hell. The Bible is very clear. He does not desire for anyone to go to hell. No one. He does not desire anyone to go to hell. So if somebody goes to hell, it's that person's choice. He made provision by dying on the cross to satisfy the holy demands of God. Because sin is a crime to God which demands justice. And the justice of God says that you need to die. Now you might argue with that and say, why do I need to die? Well, you just need to die. He's God. We're not. And if He says you die because of your sin, then you die because of your sin. But He gave a way out. How? By dying on the cross. What you and I deserve, He did for us. 
The wrath that we deserved, he, he, he received that humbly, without complaint. He was like a silent sheep before the shearers. He accepted his faith, never fought the nails. He could have fought the nails. He could have fought that army. He did not. He submitted himself to be nailed, to be mocked, to be ridiculed on the cross. For what reason? For our salvation. It's a gift. But just like any gift, you could reject the gift and you could receive it. I know of some people, because of anger in their hearts, somebody gives them a gift, they reject it. Now, God is offering to us the gift of salvation. It's a gift. You don't work for it. You don't pay for it. It's given to you. So what do you do about it? You receive it. And when you receive it, then you have a relationship with Christ. The Holy Spirit begins to live and dwell inside of you. Then now, with the Holy Spirit in you, you now have the power to overcome. Which brings me to my last story of a young girl who just came to Christ. So somebody asked her, what are you going to do when Satan knocks at your door to tempt you? Her answer was brilliant. She said, I'm going to ask Jesus to, to open the door. Her solution was Christ. And here's the solution to every temptation you and I will face in the world. The solution is Christ. And that is why Philippians 4.13 is what we hold on to. I can do all things. Amen? Through Christ. Amen? Not through me, but through Christ who what? Who strengthens me. Amen? Let Jesus answer every temptation we face. And friends, we will overcome. We will be victorious. We will conquer. Because our God is a mighty God. And there is nothing difficult with our God. And that God that we worship and we serve lives and dwells inside us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The battle does not belong to us. The battle belongs to the Lord. The Christian must never, ever think that God is the problem when temptation takes place because God never tempts anyone. What the Christian needs to do is turn to Christ when he is tempted. And let me just close with a verse, Hebrews 2, verse 18. This is who our Jesus is. For since he, referring to Christ, for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able. Say, He is able. 
Say it louder, please. He is able. And what is he, is he able to do? He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So what do we do when we're tempted? We run to Jesus and we are safe. Hallelujah. Amen? We run to Jesus and we are safe. Shall we bow our heads and close our eyes at this time? With every head bowed, every eye closed. I wonder if there may be some people here who have not yet accepted the gift of salvation. You cannot recall a time wherein you have believed the work of Jesus Christ as the only saving work that could save you from the fires of hell. You cannot recall a time when you totally repented and asked God to change you. And if you've never done that and you'd like to do it right now, knowing that only Jesus can save your soul, He promises that He will give you eternal life. He promises that when you believe and repent, you shall your name shall be written in the book of life. And if that is what you desire, a new life, eternal life, salvation, all you need to do is pray. Actually, you don't need to pray here. You can pray at home. But maybe right now, you're feeling that tug in your heart. And you want to be able to express that faith and surrender your life right at this moment. So allow me to just lead you in a prayer. This prayer actually is useless unless it comes from your heart. This prayer is really useless unless it is a genuine expression of your faith in repentance. But the promise is if you accept Christ, genuinely, earnestly, from the heart. Today, your name will be written in the book of life. And if you want that, I'd like to lead you in prayer. And as a sign of faith, just for me to find out if I should lead some people in prayer, could you please slip up your right hand to the Lord all over this place? Is there anyone who would like to surrender his or her life to Christ. Just raise up your hand just so I can see. Yes, sister. Amen. Yes, brother. Amen. Anyone else aside from these hands? Yes, sister. Yes, brother. Amen for those hands. Yes, I see those hands at the back as well. Amen. And more, more hands at the back. Yes. Amen. Now you can put them down right now. I'd like you to please pray this prayer. Make it your prayer. Lord Jesus, I ask for forgiveness. For all my sins, I can never pay for what I owe you as a result of my sins. But Jesus, what I could not pay 
You paid it all at the cross. And with your shed blood, I ask for forgiveness for my past sins, for the sins that I committed today, and even for the sins that I will commit tomorrow and the years to come. Please forgive me. I now understand that salvation is a gift, that I don't work for it, that I don't sweat it out, but all I need to do is just receive it as it is freely given to me. And I do that. I am, I'm doing that right now, Lord. I receive the free gift of eternal life. And I repent, Lord, of all my sins. I ask you to change me by the power of your Holy Spirit because on my own, I can't change myself. But I surrender my life to you. I make you my Lord and my Savior. And from this day onwards, I'm yours. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Lord, we thank you for this morning, O oh God. Thank you for opening our eyes and making us understand what temptation is all about. And thank you, Lord, that we now completely understand that when temptation comes, you're not the problem. You are the solution. So, Lord, allow us to run to you and seek your face. Because the only way we can overcome is by the living Christ inside of us. And we thank you that we are empowered to live a life that will honor you. We thank you for this morning. And we thank you also that we could worship you with our resources by giving our tithes, our grace gifts and our offerings Lord please use them for the glory of your holy name and whatever has been achieved today we return back to you all praises and all thanks in Jesus name we pray Amen and Amen